Ron DeSantis is Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war here soon, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows that because the civil war is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away or you automatically were like, yeah, we were wrong. Hey, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Book, don't be surprised when we start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids. We're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty dollars or $30,000 they borrow. They might pay two or $300,000 in their lifetime with all the competitive interest. And now here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome back into the Snaphook Podcast. Tim Costello, Scott Barzilla. November already, Scott, as we are just rolling through our first calendar year. Absolutely. You know, what's funny is, as I was talking to Tim off air, I am, uh, you know, successfully pirating cable. So I'm sticking it to the man, so to speak. Not really cable. Uh, it's it's Fubo in this case. A free seven-day trial. So I'm watching the Rockets play live here for the first time in, I don't know, maybe 10 years. I wouldn't even call it pirating until you had like nine different email addresses that you continue to use for free weeks trials. Cause I, I know somebody who's on like their fifth week of, of free trials on a bunch of different email addresses. Yeah. This is only number two for me. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not quite there yet. And this is an email address I actually have. I just haven't checked it in maybe seven, eight years. Yeah. I have a nice, I have a nice setup um, where I split it with a few other people. Mostly, it was for uh, Astro season, and then now um, they're all Mavericks fans. But it's how they watch the Mavs, and it's how I watch the Rockets. So it's not bad. It's really not. It's not a bad way to watch. You know, I. I it's, it's well. Not- well, I'll tell you what the kicker was. Right. So uh, my mother in law came to visit. Because uh, the, the the Houston Quilt Festival is in the first you know week of November, and she is she's a big time quilter, and so it's kind of a tradition for her to come over and, and and stay with us you know for a few days, and she really really wanted to watch the LSU Alabama game because they're from Baton Rouge and so you know they're rooting for LSU and so we are too, and so we decided to invite over my parents. And my sister, uh, my, my sister, my uh, daughter's new boyfriend uh, is a senior in high school. So he got to meet three out of four of the grandparents. So, you know, kudos to him for, you know, putting up with that. But I tried to get it on Paramount Plus. It would not work downstairs. So I had to go. We had to go all of us upstairs on one couch 
to watch this thing on antenna and with the dog, with the hundred pound dog. And that just wasn't working to him. It just, it just wasn't. So I decided, you know, the next day, okay, I'm going to pirate this thing again. And then, you know, I was able to watch that, you know, Miami Dolphin, um, uh, watch what, what was the game on Sunday? No, it wasn't Miami Dolphins. It was, uh, who was it on Sunday? Uh, oh yeah. The chiefs, the chiefs and the dolphins in, uh, in Germany. So I was able to watch that game and, you know, able to watch the Texans without having to worry about the antenna. So, you know, it was nice for, for that day. It's not, like I said, it's not bad. You know, I, I will always enjoy, you know, growing up, we did, I'll always have a nice fond memory of cable TV. You know, there's, there was just such a fun time for it, but it, it really is such a waste nowadays. And you're going to pay for 200 plus channels just to get like the three that you really want. And so, yeah, Fubo is the way to go. It, it works fine. It, you know, I, I can get on my tablet and get it on two of the three TVs in the house. Um, I can get on my TV outside. I, I like that. I can have it on the TV outside and have it on the TV uh, inside when I'm cooking, so that way I can go go out, check it, you know, cook my pizza up, come back inside, haven't missed anything. I think really, too, Scott, what, what makes it nice nowadays is, like, when you're trying to set up a man cave, I remember when I was, when I was a kid, my dad had his man cave set up outside, and it was a real pain in the ass to get, like, a second cable box and all that stuff run out there. I just, I just had to throw a, uh, I used the TiVo streaming devices because I like them a lot, but I just had to throw that in there and now I've got a man cave set up outside. Well, and, and I was going to bring this up before we get to, you know, our first topic that I was going to kind of, you know, roll into, you know, given what we're seeing on the TV. I remember back in the days of HSE, which was, it stood for home sports entertainment. We always thought it was Houston sports entertainment. And what they did was in order to get HSC on your TV, they gave you this little silver tube that you actually had to screw in, you know, that kind of that, uh, that knob that would be on the back of your TV where you would hook up like a UV cable kind of thing. I don't know if you know what I'm describing here, but you know, it was like a, it was like a tube that you would have to actually physically stick on your TV in order to get, you know, HSE. And so we actually only got HSE on, on one TV in the house because we, you know, we couldn't get multiple tubes. And so we had a room that we called the extra room, which was a bedroom that we just converted into a TV room and had a nice sectional couch in there. We were able to watch our Astros and our Rockets back in the 80s. Now I, I was able to put Fubo on my phone. So, you know, I can sit there and watch it on my phone. I was sitting there watching, getting my da- uh, daughter's um State inspection handled on Sunday, fired up the NFL Europe game on my phone, sitting there watching that while we're getting the, uh, the car inspected. But I was, uh, you know, to open things up, we... we I just want to say it's funny, though, because to take it full circle, I I would bet 85% of sports fans would kill to have something like you just mentioned. Uh, a dev- like In today's day and age, I'd, I'd kill to have it, one device I could put into my... TV and it got me Astros Rockets. Oh sure, yeah, like that. That uh, would be the dream nowadays to just have a hey, this streaming device works for the I don't know what they just called the new one, um, Space City Sports. This streaming device is is for Space City Sports only. It, it costs 
twenty bucks a month, and it gets you Space City Sports. Well, that's okay. the, that's the dream. And 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 as I were, as we're watching here, I just want to uh, clue people in because you're listening to this on a Thursday morning. Uh, the Rockets are beating the Lakers right now as we speak, forty-seven to twenty-nine, and Jalen Green is absolutely feeling it tonight so far. Um, I don't know how many points he has exactly because I, I have it on no volume so that I don't interfere with the podcast. But, yeah, he is absolutely playing some ball tonight. Um, three wins in a row uh, coming into the night's game. Of course, you know, two of them are against Sacramento and one of them is against Charlotte. So, you know, we have to kind of temper some expectations there. But um, obviously last week we were feeling pretty down about the Rockets being 0-3. They're now 3-3 and and they're beating the Lakers. So uh, you feeling any different about your Rockets there, Tim? Yeah, as, as crazy as it is, it's early in the season, but like I've done a complete 180, Scott, because I feel like the things that we were frustrated with early in the season, I think rightfully so to have those frustrations, but man, have they addressed a lot of those issues that were driving us crazy. And Dylan Brooks continues to look like he reminds me of in major league two, uh, the way they're talking about Jack Parkman at the beginning of, of the movie when they're in spring training and they're talking about how a different uniform, it's like bringing, you know, fresh air and the shimmy used to make the women in Cleveland sick. Now it makes them quiver and all that stuff. We're like, I, I kind of feel like that with Dylan Brooks right now, Scott. We're like, I I didn't have a lot of positive things to say about him when we when we brought him in. Didn't know a lot about him. I knew he, you know, he was a shit talker who said he could shut down LeBron and thought he could score and all this other stuff. But like, well, I'll be damned if Dylan Brooks right now isn't one of the best two way players in the NBA. Yeah, and and. I think this team is an awful lot like they remind me of the Texans in a lot of ways, because I think, you know, you had two teams that were bad for, you know, about three or four years. You have, you know, all of a sudden an infusion of free agent talent that comes in. You mentioned Brooks, um, obviously, uh, you know, a new point guard as well. Uh, Some older bench pieces that you've, you've got at the end of your bench, like Jeff Green, uh, but, you know, those two guys, you know, they're obviously the big thing right now, 54 to 32 as we speak. And and just as you're speaking about um, about Dylan Brooks, you know, he made a nice Actually, play. We're, we're half, I think you're behind, Scott. I must it's, be behind. Uh, it's 66-45. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm behind then. Um, I'm watching, you know, obviously I'm watching a Fubo. So who knows, you know, how that's turning out. But. You know, just as I was watching, you know, you you talking about Dylan Brooks, here he was making a great play and a nice pass to a trailing Jalen Green, who's, you know, maybe the fastest player in the NBA. Definitely without the ball, he's he's definitely one of the fastest players in the NBA. And, he, and he's always been a guy that if he sat there and said, if he could play in control. one. Of, but we mentioned last week the deficiencies that this team has are still there. They don't have an interior defender. They still don't. Um, you know, that's, that's not who, um, obviously Jabari Smith is. That's not who Sangoon is. They're, they're nice players. Sangoon, you know, I think definitely in the three game winning streak was playing some really brilliant offensive basketball all the way around scoring, passing the basketball, but he's not an interior defender. So you're still missing some things. And if you look at like your Houston Texans, you're still missing some things, but it's fun to watch this team 
play and it's fun to watch the Texans play. And I, and so I guess the opening question, which team gets to the playoffs first? Ooh, that's tough, Scott. Cause I, I think they both got, I, I hate to be this fan, but is it crazy? They both have at least an outside shot, right? Because yes, it's early for the Rockets, but half, half of the league makes the playoff in the NBA, right? You've got 32 teams, 16 teams make the league. It, uh, if not more now with the play in games. So to think that we could be one of the top 10 seeds and maybe sneak into that, that play in round, I don't think is that crazy when you look at the way this roster is constructed. And I think, Fred Van, Fred Van Fleet is is the main difference maker out there right now, Scott, because if you look back to last year when they're trying to force, um, you know, the experiment at point guard with, um, um, I can't remember, the, the guy we just cut from the, um, it, it'll come to KP, me. Kevin Porter Jr. Yeah, with Kevin Porter Jr., if he didn't have the shot that night, he didn't have another way to get his teammates involved. He was going to keep forcing shots. He was going to shoot a low percentage, maybe have five or six assists. Well, you know what? Fred Van, Fred Van Fleet doesn't have the shot going that. He's one of six, uh, only four points. But you know what he does have is eight assists because he understands that, you know what, it's not falling for me tonight. I'll get a layup. I'll get some easy buckets here or there. But what I can do is set my teammates up. And you know what? Jalen Green, seven of ten. Fred, uh, Sengun, six of eight from the floor. He's getting these guys in positions where they can succeed. And most importantly with Sengun, he's getting him the ball in positions of the floor or spots of the floor where he can control the offense too. Sengun has been fantastic at drawing the defenders to him and kicking it back out to the open three on the outside. I do think this team can stay competitive and, and go 42 and 40. 43 and 39 and sneak into that 9-10 spot. Um, the Texans going to be a little bit tougher. I think you got to win the division. Um, and I think I think this division is up for grabs. But I do think, maybe I'm wrong here, Scott, but I think Will Levis makes the Tennessee Titans a, a tougher uh, opponent than Ryan Tannehill did too. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, to go back to Van Vliet, because I, I really do agree with you that he is a, he is a key you know difference maker. And I think if you look at the holy untrinity of the last three years of the Rockets, bad shooting team, leads the league in turnovers, horrible on defense. So what does Van Vliet do for you? Number one, he doesn't turn the ball over as much. I mean, and KBJ and, and Jalen Green were just turnover machines. And, and Van Vliet is not, I mean, he's not Chris Paul. He's not John Stockton. He's not going to, he's not going to be um, Steve Nash. He's not going to be like, you know, all-time great point guard, but he's a professional. That, that's what he is. And so one of the things I, I love about, you know, he is the perfect guy. And so people complained about giving him max money. The thing I love about that is that he is the kind of guy, you know, professionally and psychologically that can handle max money because what he does, he does exactly what you said. My shot's not falling tonight. I don't need to shoot the ball to win. I need, you know, to do something else. He doesn't feel the need to average 20 points a game because he's made, he's got his money. 
He's being paid max money for what three or four years. So he doesn't need to score 20 points a night in order to justify a contract that he's about to make. He's already making max money. So he just needs to go out there. He needs to play good, solid basketball. And that's and what which, he's doing. And, and he's beyond beyond that. Some would say he's playing some of the best basketball of his career, uh, especially the way he's, he's distributing the basketball per 100 possessions. His numbers this season are, are some of the best of his entire career. When you look at the three-point percentages up, he's taken you know some of the most threes per 100 possessions of his career. And his field goals, um, he's making – some of the most field goals he's ever made on on a pretty average field goal attempt. So well, and, and look he's at playing good good basketball, well, and, and he's not turned his assist ratio, um, which is you know an estimate of the percentage of teammate field goals a player assisted on when they're on the floor. He's at thirty four percent of of his assist ratio right now, which is would be the highest of his career by a wide margin. Which means he's assisting on thirty four percent of the buckets scored while he's on the court. That's unbelievable. Well, and that's that's you know that we're talking about seven games, so yes. you know we, we need to, we need to temper our, you know our expectations there. But how much of that, especially with the fact that the the Raptors have not been a good team in recent years, how much of that is Van Vliet, especially maybe last year coming up? You know, I'm on a contract year. I need to put up some numbers, you know, so I can get myself a contract. He's now gotten that contract. He doesn't have to put up numbers. He can be a leader. He can be a guy that, you know, helps you win basketball games. And, you know, some nights that might mean him scoring 20 points, which he's done. And then some nights that might him getting 10 plus assists, which he's also done, you know, in the early going here. So, you know, that's that. I, th- I tend to agree with you on the Texans. I, I think this is not the year for the Texans. Um, I think everybody's feeling good after Sunday's win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But, you know, but let's be honest, you know, we shouldn't ignore in victory what we would not ignore in defeat. And there, there are some issues with this Texans team that we have to address and we'll get to in this podcast. Uh, but I think they're going to be close. I think, you know, they'll win eight, nine ball games this year. I think Jacksonville is a 10 or an 11 win team. And I think, unfortunately, you know, nine wins could sneak you into a wild card with an additional wild card you know, in each conference, but this is a stacked conference. This is, this is going to be hard for them to, you know, to get in, you know, just imagine. I don't think it's the wild card. I think you have to, if you're going to make the playoffs, I think you have to sweep Jacksonville, which is another win against Jacksonville. And I think you got to sweep Tennessee. So you got to win both Tennessee games and then you've got to win the other Colts game, right? Which yeah. We and- have, we only have one division loss against the Colts and that's your chance because, I, I think you're right. There's there's a lot of good teams in this league, and I don't know necessarily. I definitely think the Texans need another playmaker at running back. Um, would love to see a long term answer at, at tight end. There's not a ton of holes on the on the Texans team besides you know maybe a couple more playmakers offensively and 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 some ball hawkers on defense, but like it's just a solid team, and I think. I think they're starting to get to that that San Francisco 49ers model where yeah there, there's some stars on that defense but for the most part they they've been able to plug and play for quite some time especially defensively in Seattle. I mean in in San Francisco, Scott, where um coaches have left, players have left, but that defense is still elite. 
that offense is still churning up yardage. You could, you and I could be, you know, 850 yard a season running backs behind that, that San Francisco offensive line. And so I think that's D'Amico's goal is, is to build, you know, I hate to use the term because it's so but legit, a program, right? You want to build a football program that um, plug and play. And, and I think that's kind of where they're getting to. I, I'm real excited for next year because if you look at the progression of young quarterbacks, year two is, is kind of the year where things really pop up for them. Um, Here's Russell, Russell Wilson quarterback, you know, year two wins the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes wins the Super Bowl in year two. That's, you know, you, that rookie contract is so important when you've got a guy who's got this level of talent. You need to win while they're young so you can take advantage of that cheap contract. I'm of two minds, really, on, on this team because I think, you know, and, and you saw it both on display on, on Sunday. Uh, number one, um, I think I'm with you on the program that, you know, that, that D'Amico wants to run. This teammate isn't there. But I think on Sunday, there started to be a realization they're not there. And if you follow uh, Battle Red blog, you can follow, uh, if you go to the Hair of the Dog feature, you know, it kind of fe- you know, features our, you know, thoughts during the game. And during the first half, I think I started screaming, literally, if you read it in text form, stop running the ball. This team on first downs running the ball, and it's like, you know what? Just signal up to the official score and say, hey, we're just going to start on second and 10. You know, uh, if you would just want to do that, just go ahead and start on second and 10. Somebody put up the numbers, and, and finally, uh, Bobby Slowick gave up on the run. It was like, thank God. Thank God you did this. But they put up the numbers that, that C.J. Stroud was on first down. He threw over, over of his 470 yards, over 250 of them were on first down. Like two or three touchdowns came on first down. He, uh, he was like something like 28 of 34. I mean, it was something just absolutely ridiculous on first down. This is a passing team. This is like a team like the Kansas City Chiefs. And the sooner that they realize that they're a team like this, and maybe that's not the team that they're going to be in 2024. Maybe. But to me, the problem that you have is that Laramie Tunsil and Titus Howard are not blue-collar, I'm-just-going-to-beat-the-hell-out-of-somebody linemen. That's not who they are. Laramie Tunsil is a guy that it will never get your quarterback sacked. Last year, he had one of the, probably the best season ever from a left tackle in terms of limiting pressures on the quarterback. I think he had one pressure. Maybe allowed one sack all year long. Ridiculous numbers. You don't run behind Laramie Tunsil. You just don't. And the problem is you've paid him a, a shitload of money. So he's your left tackle for the next couple of years. So the problem is, is that you can't compare him to Trent Williams. Trent Williams is a very different tackle. It's a great tackle, but a very different tackle. Uh, Titus Howard, can we get him off a of left he guard? He shouldn't be playing left guard. Yeah, yeah can I we get him? Like, oh, my God. You know, but the point is, is that even when you pull him back on right tackle, he's good at limiting pressures. He's not a good run blocker. He's just not. And right now you're running with your, I don't know, is your fifth or sixth string center? I mean, it's just, you know, the amount of injuries this team has gone through and the fact that you don't have a left guard and that you 
just you you assumed that Kenyon Green would do it, and you know he's not obviously. Maybe next year they get you know in free agency. That's one of the things they spend on. Maybe they just go out and say like say say the hell with it. Kenyon Green, you're you're a first round pick, but we're not going to rely on you. We're going to go out and get a veteran left guard, and we're just going to go. Maybe that's what you do. But for the time being, you're a passing offense. You're not a running offense. You can blame it on Damian Pierce. He wasn't there Sunday. He wasn't the guy not gaining the yards. You can blame it on Devin Singletary if you want. You can't blame it on every running back. Eventually, you're just going to have to look at the, you know, this offense, the way it is built right now, is not, you're not a running team. You're just not. So I, I think the biggest issue that's going to hold the Texans back in 2023 is their roster is not built for what you said. They're not a running team. And they built a roster behind the idea that Damian Pierce was going to come back in year two and build on what he did last year as this wrecking ball running back when, number one, you know this is probably more of a zone read offense than it was last year where it's a one cut and go which is not his strong suit. Number two, he looks like Helen Keller out there trying to read the blocks and decide where to go because he, for some reason, just forgot how to read blocking in the last six months and run straight up his, his own lineman's butts instead of making like a good cut and picking up 10, 15 yards. And so then you go out and you sign Devlin Singletary to be the complimentary back to a guy like Pierce well, now all of a sudden you can't run the rock. We don't have that shifty little receiving back that would complement this offense so well, right? Imagine a, a a McKinnon or you know Pacheco that that the Chiefs had that guy who can catch passes out of the backfield, who can take some draws from the shotgun and get you 10, 15 yards because he's so fast and shifty. Um, that's that's what's going to hold this team back as they kind of built up the running game and the running back position, I think thinking they're going to be a power run team. Now they're not, and they don't have the player on the roster to be able to fill that slot of, of that little shifty back who can, can do it all from the shotgun position. Yeah. I mean, look at what, you know, if I could go in the DeLorean, the back that I would pluck out of history is Barry Sanders, you know, and, and, and yeah, you're sitting there saying, yeah, sure, Barry Sanders, but I would Barry Sanders more than any other Hall of Fame running back because the problem that you have with Pierce right now is that every time he gets the ball, there's a defender right there. Damian Pierce can do a lot of things, but making guys miss is not what he did. He didn't do that last year. Okay, what he did last year is he ran over them. He didn't, you know, make a miss. So you need a running back, and, and you need a running back that can make guys miss, and that guy's not on the roster. He's just not. And maybe you can find that guy in college football in the draft next year. Maybe. I mean, there's plenty of – there's always plenty of running backs available in every draft. So, you know, maybe you get that guy. But You need to find an Arian Foster clone. Sure. That's that's what this team needs is, is a one-cut running back like Arian Foster who can make one move, put his foot in the ground, and go. And, you know, we were a, a Shanahan-type offense when, when Arian Foster had his best, best success, right? Like Kyle Shanahan was our offensive coordinator. Kubiak was the head coach. This is the system, right? You would think as, whatever Sloak is running is, 
is some sort of bastardized child of the Kubiak system. The running game is zone running. So you need to find a running back that fits that system immediately. I don't know. I don't know who it is. I don't watch enough college football outside of, you know, the teams that we support to tell you, you got to go get this guy next year. But what I do know is I don't think Damian Pierce is the guy for this offensive style. And right now the running back room is specifically holding the Texans back because, you know, game scenario, third and one, you got to go pick up a yard game on the line. I don't know if I want to run the ball for that yard right now, Scott. Like, I'm putting the ball in C.J. Stroud's hands and letting him go no, get me that yard. No, no. And, and and the biggest problem you have is that, you know, and, and, and Bill O'Brien used to use that term complimentary football so often that it would kind of make me puke. But he's right. And when you look at what's happened the last four weeks is every single game has come down to about the six or seven minute mark. The other team has gotten the ball. You've been ahead. Can your defense get a stop? And they've done it once. And the only reason they did it against New Orleans is because New Orleans messed up. They made a mistake. That's what, you know, they were driving and they made the key mistake that won you the game. Carolina did it. They drove on you. They won. The Falcons did it. They drove on you and won. And the Bucks did it. But, you know, C.J. Stroud pulls a game out of his butt. And, and let me tell you, the throw to Tank Dell on the sideline, my God. I mean, how many quarterbacks in the NFL make that throw? I think I've only ever seen one make a similar throw to that, and it was the uh, Eli Manning to Mario Manningham in the second Super Bowl that they won where he hit yeah, Mario, Mario Manningham. Caught him in the helmet? No, that was David Tyree was, oh, the yeah. one, was, the, was the famous one. But in the second Super Bowl, Eli led another similar drive where he hit Mario Manningham on a basically the same route that, that Tank Dell ran. Uh, I mean, that one was huge. And, like, I don't know about you, but after they hit that pass, I knew, like, I had no doubt in my mind we were going to win that football game. Like, that well, one I'm, was the one that I was like, okay, I have I have ultimate trust in this guy right now. I unfortunately missed most of the fourth quarter because I was up at volunteering at church. And so I just had to volunteer, you know, and kind of, I was making a joke because we were, you know. That's why you have Fubo, Scott. It's right on the phone. We were doing this on a, well, I can't watch Fubo while I'm trying to teach kids about confirmation. I mean, that's a little. uh, That's an uh, early confirmation uh, class. Yeah, that's what they do. They do it, you know, we do it like once a month and it's like a three to five kind of thing, you know, because we have a 530 mass. So. Um, I was talking about this the other day. It's a little sidetracked. But do you remember I had a favorite priest when I was in high school? Um, and he was it was that he would come to St. B's, but he wasn't like one of the priests who lived there. He taught at whatever Catholic school. Oh, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Up there and he would relate his sermon to the Astros game the night before. And oh. it was he'd be like talking. He's like, Father JJ did a great job getting us started. He was like Royal Swat last night. I'm going to come in. I'm your Brad Lidge. I'm going to shut this thing down. I'll, he was, I wish I could remember this guy's name, but this priest, I know you're every time about. he had great Astros references. I know who you're talking about. I know who you're talking about. Well, we were talking about, you know, picking a patron saint. And so I was joking with the kids. I said, we have St. CJ of Columbus. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, he's already got one of his miracles. So, you know, he just needs one more. 
and you know, the sainthood is, is, is right there. But, and so Altuve has got to be pretty close, you know, a couple well, of years. Well, Jose. I was going to bring him up because I think, you know, when I was thinking about this and I was thinking about a way to describe it in that, I don't think CJ Stroud is a franchise guy yet because you have to do it repeatedly. And so that's where I think the Altuve example is such a perfect example because, you know, yeah, he walked off in 2019, but he also won game five of 2023, which, you know, should have been, but we won't get there. Um, I mean, he's won, you know, when you looked at, it was a 2017 or 2018 where he led off, he had two home runs in, in game one of the ALDS. I can't remember which one. That was 2017. He had three home runs against the Red yeah, Sox. Yeah, I couldn't remember which game. One of my favorite favorite home runs of all time was was Bob Costas on the third one where he goes, you want to join Babe Ruth on a list? But this is where when you look at Jose Altuve, he's got the bona fides because he's done it time and time again. So the only thing CJ Stroud has right now is he's going to have to do it multiple times. And the only other guy in Houston, and he hasn't been there nearly as long, the only other guy that you could compare to him is Jordan. You know, because Jordan has had numerous playoff moments where he's been the guy. Uh, but Altuve's obviously been there longer. So I, I just think, though, Houston has been starved for a franchise quarterback, a true franchise quarterback, Scott. But at least in the time of the Houston Texans, you know, we can we can argue about the Oilers and whether Pastorini was that guy or Warren Moon. No. But, you know, I think you can honestly say the Texans have never truly – I mean, the city of Houston has never truly had that franchise guy. Um. Deshaun Watson could have been on a in a different planet, but he wasn't. I think, you know, sitting back here now, we can both agree. And I think, too, Deshaun Watson doesn't win that game. I don't think Deshaun Watson goes down the field and wins that football game because as I was watching it, um, you know, the Texans gave up that touchdown to go behind late. But there was a play where, you know, Mike Evans makes a big catch but the Texans immediately forced a fumble on the play. And in the most Texans way ever, it bounces off two of our players and right back to Mike Evans and he retains possession and they go on to score and yada, yada, yada. And and I think in years past, that just would have been how they lost. They, they, they forced the fumble they needed. They couldn't recover on it. They throw a pick after they get the ball back ball game. Damn, we played well. Um, there's just something different in CJ and, I, and I'm with you. I'm not going to go out and say he's the franchise guy, but I'm going to go out and say, not only did I, I have no doubt in my mind we made the right choice in this in this draft. I think you go out and build your team this offseason as if you have the guy on a rookie quarterback deal because you go all in next year. This so, is the year. So, yeah, and I think what's funny, though, is that it's just a difference in style. Like, you remember that, you know, that superhuman play that Watson makes against Buffalo? Stroud doesn't make that play. He doesn't have the athleticism to make that play. So, you know, there's there's plays that Watson could make that Stroud can't. But I think you're absolutely 100% right on the money that Stroud made some plays on Sunday that Watson couldn't. So it, it's kind of it's going to kind of depend. Watson kind of... And I think maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I'll, I'll kick it back to you after this. I think... What C.J. Stroud plays is more of a winning style of football. 
I think yes, they both do things very, very well. I think C.J. Stroud operates better in the pocket, does better, and will be better on timing routes and making plays within the pocket where his receivers and him are on the same page. I think Deshaun Watson is fantastic at extending plays, making the hero play, making the crazy play. But Deshaun Watson doesn't necessarily play winning football from three quarters from within the pocket. Stroud is definitely on schedule more than any rookie quarterback I've ever seen. Um, And that doesn't necessarily mean he's like maybe the best rookie quarterback ever. But like when you look at even when you looked at Bryce Young winning on that game on Sunday, he was making plays off schedule. But, you know, when you had him in the pocket, he wasn't doing a whole heck of a lot. Uh, And Stroud. I thought Bobby Slowick lost us the Panthers game. Yeah, they were unbelievably conservative. The, The game that the Texans have lost have been when they haven't let CJ play. When they've let CJ throw the ball around and make plays, the Texans have won. When they try to get conservative and run the football and limit what CJ can do, they don't win. Maybe I'm wrong on that and I'm looking at it the wrong way, but go look at the Ravens game. They were so conservative on offense. And I get it. Rookie quarterbacks first start on the road against the Ravens in the NFL. But knowing what we know now about CJ Stroud, would you rather let him loose in that game and at least give your team a chance to win instead of a close loss because you ran it? Like shit. I don't. I don't have any. Up to this point, I don't have any complaint about over how they've handled him. Because overall, you know, it's more important that he experience success. Are you saying that we're going to thank? Are we going to thank Bobby Slowick for how he's handled uh, C.J. Stroud this year? Oh, good lord! Oh, good lord! Yeah, I know. I see where you're going there. Um, but I, I think from this point on, and this is kind of like if you want to make that Dusty Baker analogy, which you're just making, this is the June moment for Bobby Slowick. And Dusty Baker in June, you knew you had to know that Yanir Diaz was the best catcher you had. April and May, hey, you're still figuring stuff out. And so for the Texans, these first eight games, you're figuring out what you have in, in C.J. Stroud. So for these last nine, you better believe I want him slinging that ball around the yard. Uh, and so that's where that's the difference. If Bobby Slowick goes back to the, well, we're going to establish the run and we're going to run it 40 times, then he's, then he's an idiot. Um, but And when you look at this upcoming schedule – the Bengals are going to put some points up. They're oh, gonna yeah. The, they're going to throw yeah. the ball around the field. It looks like that team's clicking offensively. You can't rely on a second-half explosion again. You need to come out firing on offense, and Bobby Sloak needs to come out willing to throw the ball on first down and punch this team in the face from the get-go. Because I think if you try and play from behind with the Bengals, you don't have the firepower. I think your defense is good enough if you go toe-to-toe from, from the beginning of the game throwing the rock. We got a shot. But if you come out for two quarters trying to run the football, then go in at halftime and be like, hey, we don't have it. We need to throw it today. You could be down two touchdowns by that point, if not more. Oh, yeah. The, the winning the team that wins this game is going to win 38 to 31. And yeah. you want to be the team with 38. And, and I'm with you. And you don't get there running the football. You just don't. And, and I, you know, I watched uh, the Bengals, you know, the last, you know, couple of games, you know, because they've been on national TV and, and Joe Burrow's got it going. He's got a group of receivers. You can't cover them all. And we might get Derek Stingley back. He came back to practice this week. He's been on the, uh, the release, but I don't think he's going to be back this week. I think he needs 
another couple weeks. But even if you put him back, you can't cover all these receivers. You just can't. I mean, you're going to roll. You're probably going to cover Jamar Chase with a corner. You're going to roll a safety over to him, you know, to provide, you know, extra. And then that means your other guys are being covered one-on-one. Do you have faith that we have the corners to cover those other two guys one-on-one? No. No. I I think the best hope is that the Texans generate a lot of pass rush. Um, uh, To me, if if the Texans win – this week, I think it's because someone like Will Anderson or or, or, or Greenard had a huge game, and, and Anderson's and it, hurt. He, yeah. he came out hurt the last game. He's he's on the depth chart set to start this game, so we'll see. But I think it's going to come. There's going to be a, a strip sack or something like that from the, the Texans front if they're going to win this football game. Because you're right, you can't cover all these guys, and and Burrow. Burrow's the kind of quarterback who's smart enough to know, hey, here's my matchup weakness. I'm going to pick on you all day till you stop it. You want to shut Jamar Chase down? Fine. T. Higgins is going to have a day today. Or, you know, who you know, you guys want to shut the the wide receivers down? That's fine. Joe Mix Joe Mixon will will you know well, the, there's a lot of weapons on that team that he can he could utilize. The perfect analogy, and I don't know if you watched this game, but we watched you know, the Alabama LSU game that I referenced before. And, and that was a game that I think is going to end up being a lot like this game. In the first, I would say, two and a half quarters, you were not stopping either offense. It just wasn't happening. Those quarterbacks were on fire. Uh, they were both, they were running it, they were throwing it. Um, I don't know if either of them are going to be a great pro quarterback, but they were playing some great ball. What did you have? You had a key stop by Alabama in the second half, and then you had a key tip interception. There's your ball game right there. And so the Texans are going to have to play a similar game. You're going to be trading touchdowns back and forth. You're just going to have to find a way to get off the field, okay, whether that's three and out, whether that's, you know, a strip sack, whether that's, you know, an interception. You know, you have to find a way to get off. And the team that figures out a way to get off the field is the team that's going to win that game. And and if you choose to try and play this or we're going to run the clock and we're going to try to run the ball ball control that's not what this team is i agree that that's a good team to have if you can play that style hey tough defense ball control make an occasional big play i'm on board san francisco 49ers style offense and defense I'm on board with that, but we're seeing it with the 49ers. The 49ers haven't been able to consistently win that way either. Um, we've and, okay. and that's because they don't have their full set of weapons, right? If you're going to be a team like that, as, as balanced as they are, and that's what makes the 49ers so good is who's it going to be today that's going to hurt you? Because they're one of those teams that can scheme it up that, okay, you've got both our receivers taken care of. George Kittle going to have a day. Okay, you've got that taken care of. It's going to be McCaffrey today. Oh, you're going to shut down the run today? You know, hello, Brandon Ayuk, or hello, uh, Debo Samuels. Once the Texans have that level of talent across the board, because I think they're not far away on receiver talent. Um, Maybe a good free agent splash to to balance out that room, but as this room matures, the Texans – could have one of the best receiving rooms in the NFL, which is crazy considering 
I was not sold on Nico Collins going into the season. But again, it comes back to look what McCaffrey can do offensively as a running back. He's that guy who can catch it out of the backfield. He's obviously a little bit more expensive and a little bit more of a bigger name than Pacheco or McKinnon. But he's a guy that can work it out of the shotgun. He's a guy that if you're not running it successfully, you can still get the ball in his hands and space in the passing game, and he's still going to be a huge weapon for you. We're Scott, gonna... you and I both know the Texans don't have that guy. It's not Singletary, and it's definitely not Pierce. The screen game is not – if I'm if I'm a defense, I'm not worried about the screen game with the Texans because I don't necessarily have to worry about a guy with home run speed taking a screen to the house unless it's just perfectly blocked versus – Anytime McCaffrey gets the ball in his hands, you don't know what's going to happen. Well, you know, we're about to get to the Astros, so I'm going to make an Astros analogy here. And I think we're, where the Texans are, the Texans are right around 2015 Astros. Right around there. That was a, and, fun, that was a fun season, and, Scott. 2015 was a fun year. And this team is fun to watch. This team has been fun to watch. And and But the difference is, is think about your, like, say, your Colby Rasmus, a guy who – Fairly decent player, but just not quite good enough. He's your Robert Woods. Yeah. Robert Woods is a nice player, but he's just not quite good enough. Like, he's he's a guy you miss right now because he's a guy that's probably good for about two or three key first downs a game. But, where but you do find you, though? Do you really? Like, but, I think that's what's funny. If you look at this game last week with no Woods, it was the most explosive offense we've ever seen. To me, Woods is the least explosive receiver that we have. And you're right. He's good for two or three big third down catches a game. But if those were explosive wide receivers are making those plays now, say like if a Noah Brown steps up, that guy's fast, man. You get the ball in his hands, things can happen. And if he's the one making those third down plays, now instead of a 15-yard first down, it's a 40-yard gash. So what you're looking at, what you're looking at with, if you're making that Astros analogy, is you're looking at replacing Colby Rasmus with Josh Reddick. And so you're looking at, okay, now you got a guy who, and Josh Reddick is a, you know, a really good right fielder, doesn't strike out, good contact hitter, occasional power, where you're replacing a guy like Colby Rasmus, who, you know, surprising amount of power, but God, that guy struck out a lot. So if you're looking at Robert Woods, you know, let's take away Robert Woods. Let's put in a guy with a little more athleticism, and what do you got? I mean, you got, you know, so, you know, you looking at the free agent market, I don't know who that is. There's quite a few guys, uh, like Boyd with the Bengals. Um, Maybe, uh, I don't know if if Mike Evans is, we've talked about him. He might be a little bit, you know, too old to get, you know. But you've got guys out there like that who you add to this offense, and all of a sudden, you're you're taking the net next step. Um, yeah, other- I mean, one of the guys I talked about, Curtis Samuel, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about trying to maybe yeah. get him on on the trade deadline. Kendrick Bourne, uh, although he's coming off an ACL injury after he just got hurt, um, not a ton out there, honestly, Scott. When you look at the free agent market, but Mike Evans is to get is going to be the big one. Went to went you know from the Galveston area, showed up to the game last week in an Astros jersey. I'll be damned if it doesn't make me want you. If you if you show up to the yeah. game, I, I can't be mad at that guy. Even like like Jalen Hurts. Like I will never necessarily shit talk Jalen Hurts because he shows up to stuff in Philadelphia wearing an Astros hat. So you know what? 
I tip my cap to you as a fellow Astros fan, and I'm not going to root against you unless you're playing the Texans. So if you're the Texans, obviously your blueprint is, you know, your 2015-ish Houston Astros, maybe right before 2017, where you're making those key veteran moves like Brian McCann, like Josh Reddick, like Carlos Beltran. You know, that, or that even gets swapping you, out a guy like Yuli for uh, Valbuena, too. Yeah, that gets you over the top. You know, so going back to our Astros, we had a little chat game that we had going and we wanted to throw into the show. And this is a game, I don't have a really catchy name for it, but the name is going to be, we get to spend a billion dollars of somebody else's money. And so we're going to play that game. And then Tim kind of put an addition on that to say, like, all of a sudden we got Elon Musk money and we were able to buy all the Houston sports teams. What would we do for the fans as owners of that team? So that'll be part two. But part one, I definitely have my billion dollar plan for the Astros. I want to let you lay out your billion dollar plan for the Astros. If somebody else's money. Somebody else's money, billion-dollar plan for the Astros. My my first move is I'm acquiring Juan Soto, and I'm extending him. Um, that's going to be my my first move that I make. Um, we know that the Padres are hamstrung from a salary. Like, they literally had to take a loan out for $50 million to, to pay salaries at the end of last season. So we know that they're hurting for cash. And I'm going to lowball them. I'm going to do what I can, but I'm going to go get Juan Soto. And I'm going to have a new everyday left fielder at Minute Maid Park, and his name is going to be Juan Soto. There's a chance I might have to trade Kyle Tucker in that process to go get him. I'd prefer not to. I'd prefer to have Tucker and right, Juan Soto and left. So in this plan, because I'm a billionaire and I can boss people around because I'm a billionaire, I'm keeping Kyle Tucker. I'm trading Chaz, and I'm... And I'm going to uh, throw some of our top Miley prospects in there, like an Aaron Getty, uh, things like that. I might even, you know, I'll throw JP France in there, a young, um, a young starting pitcher who's shown some promise, a Chaz and a Aaron Getty uh, to go get Soto. And again, completely a low ball offer, but they can't afford them. I'm a billionaire. I can. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Go with you because I have a virtually the exact same plan to start off. Okay. Juan Soto is to me a sabermetrician's met dr- a wet dream. This guy walks like 130, 140 times a year. I love, I mean, whenever, when I was on my uh, bulletin board, and I think I shared the bulletin board with you, but my moniker on the bottom used to be, I'm down with OBP. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with OBP. Yeah, you know, um, and that used to be Theo Epstein's, you know, kind of dig. I love on base percentage. Juan Soto is a guy that I think is going to age very well because the two skills he brings is he brings OBP and he brings power. Those skills age well. Give that guy a 10-year deal. Don't care. Give him 12 years. Don't care. You know, so here... Um, where it reminds gonna... me a lot of like Tony Gwynn, realistically. When I look at Juan Soto, I see a lot of the same hit tools that like, obviously Tony Gwynn never struck out, like never. Well, struck that been hit on a singles, but uh, we'll get to Tony Gwynn when we get to the Hall of Fame index. I, I'm, I have a lot to say on Tony Gwynn, but 
Um, where I would go on the deal, though, and I think I would go Framber and Chaz. Because the reason is, is because, yes, they're desperate to get rid of them, but no, we're not going to be the only team walking in there with an offer. Um, and that's that's the difference, is that I think you're going to have four or five teams making an offer. And I think, you know, we're going to be, you know, in order to be the guys to walk away with it, let's give them Framber Valdez. And, and, the, and the beauty that, that you have with Framber Valdez is I think he's a guy that, that might be a TJ candidate. Uh, just because of the number of innings that he's logged. But he's also a guy that, you know, in arbitration is going to be costing you well over $10 million. And so you're going to be offsetting some of that salary to begin with. And, hey, I'm a billionaire. I'm going to spend a billion dollars. we got some free agent arms out there that I can replace Framber Valdez with. And, and I'll uh, tell you what, actually, I make that trade with one caveat. I'll throw in... I'll throw in Aaron Getty from the minors. I'll throw in Fromber and I'll throw in uh, Chaz for Soto, but I want Joe Musgrove back in that deal. It's not a big as flashy name as uh, some of the other guys, but he's coming off a season where he started 17 games to a 305 ERA before he got hurt. Uh, we've seen he can pitch in in big spots here in Houston in the postseason. Um, you know, he made 30 starts in, in 2022 and had a 293 ERA. I'd, I'd get Joe Musgrove back with Juan Soto if I am giving up Fromber. But that's just part of my moves. Um, I go out and I sign Shohei Otani. If I have a billion dollars, I'm going to go give Shohei Otani 10 years, $500 million, Scott. And you know why? He's going to be a bullpen piece for me. I'm not going to use him as a starter. I'm going to use him as a DH and a bullpen guy because I think it will save that arm. I think he would flat out mash at Minute Maid Park. And I think realistically, um, if I have to, I can play a lineup of Jordan in left, Kyle Tucker in center, Juan Soto in right, and Otani as my DH. Come at me, okay? And on top of that, there's a phenomenal Japanese culture in Houston. We have a phenomenal Asian culture in Houston. Um, we saw the effect that Yao Ming had from the nation of China when we brought him over as far as marketing dollars and and you know Houston and, and China being forever linked. I think Jim Crane could make an unbelievable amount of money off of having Shohei Otani on that roster. I don't know. I don't, I doubt he would ever spend that money, but when I'm spending his money, I'm going to go get Shohei Otani. I'm going to slot him into the seventh, eighth, ninth inning. And I'm going to have a pretty elite bullpen coming in next year where, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't pitch next year. He's just going to be a hitter. And then I can run out that defense. I mentioned if I need to, and then, in the following year, when um, Ryan Presley's deal is up, and you're going to need some late inning help, Shohei Otani's coming in throwing 99 in the ninth inning. I like it. Uh, the only thing I don't like about it is, um, and I, I feel funny saying this, but the defense kind of bugs me because I don't know that I want Jordan Alvarez playing 150 games a year or more. 
And the only way I see that happening is as a, a full-time DH, uh, just because he gets nicked up and, and, and so often. And I don't know that I like Kyle Tucker in center. Um, so I'm going in a different direction with my secondary move. My secondary move is I'm re- immediately replacing from Valdez in the, in the rotation. I'm going out and getting Aaron Nola, uh, signing him for probably it's going to end up being about $250 million, you know, when it, when all said and done, but you know, Aaron Nola is no longer an ace, but you know, right now you've got JV. So you still, you know, you still have your ace. Um, I'm going to go out and sign Seth Lugo. Seth Lugo, the reason I like him is because he's been both a starter and a reliever. And so if you feel like your your playoff rotation is deep enough, you can just throw him in. He can be one of those guys that can throw an inning or two for you in the, in the playoffs. But he's a guy that could be, you know, a nice third or fourth starter, uh, especially if you're waiting when you're waiting for uh, LMJ and for uh, Garcia to come back. And then the other move that I make in order to replace Neris in your bullpen, just this little left-hander guy named Josh Hader. <laughs> that's that's you know he's done okay in the big leagues. Not 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 a whole heck of a lot. Just been a closer for a couple of years. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah, haters haters definitely on has to be on the list for for me as well. And then I think I've got like two hundred fifty million bucks left to work with based on. Based on my calculations, I think. We'll say a, okay. Let's call it. I'm giving. I'm giving. I'm giving Shohei 500 million. That's but that's it, half it, of my budget. Soto's like about 400 million, probably. Okay, so let's say I have 100 million dollars left to work with. I'm giving 50 million of it to Hater for a three-year okay. deal. Okay. All right. If I can only get him for two, I'll give him for two. Okay. Yeah. And, and then I'm going to take another two-year deal. And I'm going to give another two-year, $50 million deal to Eduardo Rodriguez. Solidify that rotation. I could go there. I could go there. Um, If I had any money left over, I would probably throw it. You know, I I still like Phil Maton, especially if you have a manager who's not going to throw his arm out. Um, I might throw him an additional, you know, little bit here and a little bit there. Interesting name. And this is not really part of the billionaire plan this is part of like your old time astros i'm gonna buy low plan so i'm gonna give you a name and i'm just gonna say let's say he's hanging around in february and hasn't been signed would you give an nri type deal so for those of y'all don't know nri is non-roster invitee uh would you get or a veteran minimum deal to tim anderson It's intriguing, um, but I think no, simply because, you know, it's an insurance policy against Pena, right? That's the reason you're getting that. You have Dubon coming back, so he's your utility guy. Um, and I, I don't see him breaking camp as a starting shortstop. No. So for that reason, he would have to be a guy who accepts a AAA um assignment and if in june pena still is is not returned to the level of his rookie season okay then let's hope tim anderson's just killing it in triple a but to me i think i think i'd rather take a flyer 
on a guy like a buy low. If I'm doing it with a bat, I want um, uh, the, the former first baseman for the Phillies, Reese Hoskins. Um, okay. You know they they announced they announced today that um, Harper is going to be the first baseman full time going into next year, and it basically means they're not going to bring Reese Hoskins back. Not a guy who hits for a super high average. He was out all this year, but last year he hit like 243. But he had 30 homers, and he's had an above-average OPS every season that he's been in the league. He can play left field, and he can play first base. I think that, to me, is more of a realistic signing than our billionaire fun-time signings. But Reese Hoskins, um, you know, they're projecting him to make like $20 million. I don't think he gets that because he's coming off an injury. No, I've heard like I've heard like teams like Chicago being in on him, the Cubs. Uh, and there's one and more. See- there's one more pitcher I do want to take a flyer on too, Scott. This uh, is a pitcher who technically still owns, still owes my former employer for his tryout fees for our independent team before he made it back to the majors, and that's James Paxton, um, hard thrower from the left side. I think he could be a nice. I think you move him to the bullpen. But I do think if you had a hard thrower like that coming out of the bullpen in the sixth, seventh, or eighth inning, it just adds another element to what whoever our manager is 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 capable of bringing into the game late in the game. Because right now, you still have a Brayu, you still have Presley, uh, you hope Montero has a bounce back year next year. So that's a not a bad seven, eight, nine. But you go get a guy like like Paxton who throws ninety five, ninety six from the left side. That adds a lot of depth to that bullpen. I'm not against that. Uh, the other guy I'm interested in, I mentioned last week, Frankie Montas. He's mm-hmm. another guy that I'd, I'd like to uh, roll dice on. I, and I like Hoskins. I, I would like that move. The only problem is, is that that's probably a little bit, he's by low, but he's a little bit, you know, he, he's like, he's not Dollar Tree by low. He's, no, and he's I think he's like, going to be looking for – I think he'd rather accept a deal for a team that's not going to make the playoffs on a one-year deal to go out and mash and play every day versus maybe being the fourth outfielder and second first baseman on a playoff team where maybe you get 100 starts on the season between first and left, but you're not playing every day. Anderson's – the reason I bring up Anderson is Anderson, I would – Number one, you know, I've been hearing stories that, you know, there's some been some trouble in that White Sox clubhouse, and I would want to make sure that's not him. Um, I, I don't know if it is or not. I know he's brash. I know he's outspoken. But you know what? So is Ox Pregman. So, you know, I, I don't really care about that. But my my pitch to him was you have got to be willing to play positions other than, than shortstop. Jeremy Pena is our shortstop. Uh, when looking at the, uh, the the B reference numbers, he's only had one season with a higher WAR than what Pena had this last year, and this last year was a down year for Pena. So, I mean, because Pena was at three point eight, and I think he's only had one season with four or more. I think because he's just in a guy that doesn't walk. Now, however, if you make that aforementioned Chaz McCormick deal for Juan Soto. Could Anderson play center field? I don't know. You know, because right now, if you if you make that Chas McCormick deal, your center fielder is Jake Myers. Uh, your center fielder is Mauricio Dubon full time. Uh, so let's so, let's put aside let's put aside the billionaire hat for a second because there yeah. is 
there's a bit of rumor out there right now, Scott, about a potential trade the Astros are trying to make. And it's, you know, the guy who broke it is, is I don't know if you follow Bonda on, on Twitter, pretty big Astros so. fan. Um, he's got some sort of inside source that is saying it's going to be Fromber and Chaz for Dylan Cease and Luis Robert from the White Sox. Maybe Done. some. Done. Yeah. <laughs> Done. That's the move. That's the move that a lot of Astros well, fans are expecting to see. Well, because let, let's because you know, the big key there is Luis Roberts already locked up. The White Sox already locked him through twenty twenty seven. Yeah. Now Dylan Cease is not. You would, but then you're you're in the same boat with with Fromber right now. Of right. you know, and and so I think they're right around the same service time, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So. My question with any of all this is, is that we obviously don't know who the manager is yet. We had a new manage, uh, new guy out of left field who was a, mentioned as a candidate today. I don't know if you saw that name. I did. Yeah. Um, Grew up in the Northeast, knew all the, ran in the same circles. Well, but, but the thing is, is that he has the exact same resume as say Walt Weiss, except Walt Weiss wasn't actually a good player. And so people, when you sit there and say, hey, Walt Weiss is going to be your manager, there'd be a lot of Astro fans. Yeah, he won the Rookie of the Year award, didn't he? Yeah, he was a pretty good shortstop, wasn't he? Versus, you know, this guy who you're like, wait a minute, he was with the Astros? I don't remember that. And then you have to look it up and you go like, oh, okay, yeah, he had a cup of coffee. Okay, so totally different. But if you look at their coaching backgrounds, Virtually the same. And when you look at, like, say, Joe Espada's coaching background, very similar. We just happen to know Joe Espada because he's been here. Now, what I liked about that is what I'm hearing is that Brown, at least, Dana Brown believes it's his decision to make. I don't know if that's true, but he seems to believe that. And I said last time that if he comes out and says, this is my manager, I'm going to be like, okay, let's go. And so, you know, obviously Ron Washington's not going to be that guy because he just got hired out and, and with the Angels. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I know. Sorry. I saw so many yeah. Rangers fans, like, happy I'm for sorry. Ron Washington. I'm and sorry. I was like, I'm happy that we keep to get beating up. We, we can both keep getting free wins against the Angels because Ron Washington is not a good manager. Well, it doesn't matter if you put a good manager on that team. They're not winning. Um and, and especially they're going to lose Otani. There's no reason for him to return there. So what do you got? You've got Mike Trout for about 90 games until he gets hurt. And then what else do you have in, in, in L.A.? Tell me. Name name a player that you have out there. You, Anthony Rendon could get healthy next year. Yeah, sure. I could be president of the United States, too. I mean, I'm technically qualified. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Technically, but so, but the the whole point is, if I were Trout, and this is where, and I was debating this in my own head today, is this a case where of bad ownership and bad general managing in in LA, or is this a case where they're just like snake bit? Because you know, Trout, great player, but he's been he hasn't been healthy in at least three years. Rendon hasn't been healthy at all in LA. You know, Pujols signed with LA and immediately turned into a pumpkin. 
leaves L.A., goes back to St. Louis, and all of a sudden he's great again in his last year. So, you know, what are we, you know, what's going on in L.A.? Do you think it's bad management, or do you think they're like, you know, they need to do an exorcism or something? I think it's bad. I don't know if we call it management, but general management and, and external scouting of free agents. Because if you look at the guys that they're bringing in, they're all older guys. They're not they're not getting like young talent to come in. Pujols was on the wrong side of 30 when they brought him in. They go spend big money on C.J. Wilson after he had a good World Series. Run. Hey, Josh Hamilton was a great signing. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> they spent they spent big money on Luis Valbuena, who we let walk because we saw that he wasn't the guy. Um, they spent big money on Jose Quintana. They spent big money on Matt Harvey, one year, $11 million. They spent $8 million for one year of Julio Tehran. These are all guys coming off injuries that they thought they could get something out of. Two years on Joe Blanton. Uh, five years, $50 million for Gary Matthews Jr., in 2007. Vernon um, Wells. Vernon Wells was one they got paid. They spent $38 million for three years of Zach Kozart. Uh, they well, gave Justin Upton five years, 106. I'm, I'm just going down the list here. They gave oh, Mo, yeah. Even back in 1999, they gave Mo Vaughn six years, $80 million. Well, this so they've, is, made, they've made a lot of bad moves, but they've also had a lot of bad luck. But and all so the players I'm mentioning in this – are either on the wrong side of an injury yeah, or on the wrong side yeah. of 30. They consistently go out and they spend huge money on older free agents when they've shown a complete lack of ability to homegrown talent, right? They have grown Mike Trout and and what else? You know, you could say Tyler Skaggs a little bit, I guess, but unfortunately we didn't really get a chance to see that one play out. But, like, what homegrown talent do the Angels bring in? When you spend big on free agents, it's to fill the holes on your roster. I hate that the Rangers won after spending so much money. But you know what? They spent the money in the spots that they needed it. They needed a couple middle infielders. They go spend half a billion dollars to get them. They needed starting pitching depth. They went out and they got expensive starting pitchers. But you know what? They had a young rookie third baseman ready to go. They had a young catcher. They had a young first baseman. They had Adolis Garcia already there, ready to play. They had Tavares already there, ready to go. They had Mitch Garver. They had these guys already that were at least good quality ball players that you could fill around. The Angels try and do everything through money. They think, okay, this guy's already shown that he's good. Let's go get him at the top of his career. And it's just not that's just not how you win in baseball. I think. If you look at any successful baseball organization, Scott, they fill the gaps through free agency. You can't build your whole roster with overpriced, over-the-hill free agents, and that's been the Angels' M.O. for my whole life. 100%. 100%. I, I, I think there's also a, a bad luck element that they've had. but yeah, it's, I it's, think the only, thing, the only thing that could save the Angels is if there's like a young kid who's a fan whose dad was going to abandon him Unless the Angels won the pennant. I think that might be the only thing that saves them. Because then you could have an Angels in the outfield type situation. Okay, so you uh, you, you mentioned, you know... Are we not, am I going to get a chuckle out of you for that? I, I, yeah, I, yeah I, I'm just using it as a segue here. Um, you, you, play, you had a great idea for the second part of the billionaire 
you know, the billionaire kind of game we were playing. And that's if we're the owner of the team, I want to give you one promotion that's going to win the fan base on your side. What promotion are you running as an owner? We'll say the Astros, but, you know, it could be any team, really. So we kind of were on similar thought ways with this. My The way you earn it, I think, in my mind is different than yours because you're a teacher and, you know, you got to add education into it. But I, as an owner, I'm going to have this owner's box, right? And theoretically, the owner's box is probably some of the best seats in the stadium, well-stocked, food, drink, all of that. I personally am going out into the stadium every game. I'm going to mix it up with fans, and I'm going to find five father-son, father-daughter, mother-son, whatever combos, parents and kids at the game, and I'm sending them up to the owner's box. And they're going to have what could be the best experience of their life. And I'm going to do it every single game. I'm going down, and I'm going to find – Five to ten people that I'm sending up to the owner's box every game. Fans will know me for it. They'll love me for it. And they'll all be trying to get into that owner's box, Scott. I like that idea and I like it so much that I'm going to pivot just slightly. But I am going to uh, include my original first half of the idea. And I'm doing an essay contest. But my essay contest, uh, because I love your owner's box idea. And I just want to do that as as a, you know, without altering it myself i'm gonna be i'm gonna give you an opportunity to be gm for a day and so you get to write an essay i get to pick out the gm for the day now here here are the rules of gm for the day you get to call up other gms you get to make proposals the only problem is i've got to sign off on it you can't make trades on your own i'm gonna have to sign off on your trade but, you know, can you imagine how many times do you get these guys on the Colin show, uh, you know, back in the 80s? Uh, I think we got Jim Pankovitz and he doesn't really play a lot. So let's call up the Philadelphia Phillies and let's get Mike Schmidt for Jim Pankovitz. I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> and you're the guy, you're the radio DJ and you're just like, or, or you know, for modern fans. Um, we got this kid, uh, what's his name? Uh, guy, he, he pitched against the angels. He looked good for an inning, uh, kind of a big fat guy. Can we trade him for Mike Trout? I'll just hang up and listen. And, but you know, and obviously I don't need to know who, you know, that guy is. It doesn't really matter, but yeah. How many call-ins do we get? So, Hey, you want to be a GM? You really want to, you know, be the guy that makes the moves. You want to yell at Dana Brown, whoever else is the GM. You get to be GM for a day. You get to call these GMs on the phone. You get to make their the crazy proposals that you want to make on talk radio. And you get to find out what these other GMs are going to tell you on the other end of the line. So, you know, let's. I love the GM. I love it. And I'm going to tweak it a touch because I like it a lot. There's always those one or two exhibition games that the Astros play after spring training before the season starts. Like well, last year, they played against the the uh, Sugarland Skeeters. I think I'd give – it has to be – you have to be the, between the ages of 10 to 12. But I would give one young Astros fan a chance to manage that game. Essay contest. I don't know if it's S- – I, I don't know if it's essay. I think – I think I might do a video essay. Well, they they can um, do yeah. Well, they can do that. That that okay. we can we I'm I'm I, I'm 
multi-tech here. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. you know. I'd like to see some sort of multimedia project, Scott. If I'm going to give you the reins, PowerPoint presentation, uh, something you know, <laughs> with some with with animations. I want to see words fly in from off the screen. But no, I think I think you pick a 10 to 12 year old kid, um, and and you make it like the movie Little Big League, where you say you are the manager of the team. Here's your players. You make your lineup. You do the pitching changes. You do everything. It's an exhibition game. These five players are not eligible to be in your lineup today. Other than that, have at it. Okay. I'm good with that. Uh, and I think, you know, as a kid, if you won that, could you imagine, like, that feeling of, like, I was the manager of the Astros today? I mean, amazing. Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that would be cool, though, you know, like, say, not July 31st, because that, that, you, you can't. No, you do you the can't. last exhibition game. Something you doesn't can't. cost your team. Well, you do, like, July 1st for your GM you know, of the day, you know, Hey, you go out, you know, cause you know, teams are going to start you might do it in September, do it in well, September where they can't actually do any trades. Well, but you, but do it, you know, cause then what happens if like they make a good trade proposal and that sounds like a good idea, you know, cause you know, there's been all kinds of stories. Like there was a story about how the Red Sox and the Yankees almost traded Joe DiMaggio for Ted Williams. Um, they, they were both drunk and, you know, in the urinal and, and I think they both sobered up and realized it wasn't a good idea, but, um, oh, uh, just so you know, the, the Rockets, it looks like they just closed it out. Um, so they have beaten that. That'll be my delight for the evening. Uh, but shifting to that favorite part of the week. Hey, Dylan Brooks said he was jokingly said he was going to shut LeBron down. Um, only 18 points tonight for LeBron James. Hey. You know? Shut him down, D. Brooks. Hey, back up your talk. That's you know, that's all that is. You know, that's that's the same as Alex Bregman. You know, hey, talk big, but you know, back it up. All right. Uh, so uh, you know, we did you know appear last week. So I think each of us has one scumbag. So uh, who is your scumbag? Oh, you want me to go first? He wants me to go first. Oh shoot, this is a long one. All right, let me preface this by saying that I know that there are many other social media outlets. I realize this. However, I have built up a following on X, Twitter, whatever the fuck you want to call it. I've got like 900 followers. Now, 300 of them are like desperate women who have like seven followers apiece who want me to follow them back. I'm not doing that. Um, I get maybe one of those ads a day. And it's just it's annoying. But here's the really annoying thing. And, and, and Elon Musk, this is straight for you. He added for you to his, you know, the Twitter. So you can either go standard, the people I follow, or for you. So when I say for you, Tim, wouldn't you think that that would be like, We've kind of watched you tweet, and we've watched who you follow, and we watched who follows you. So we're going to give you maybe some people who you're not following, but are similar to what you're doing. Makes perfect sense, right? The first person who is always pops up on my For You is this woman named Brittany, who says that she is a survivor of terrorism from the Middle East. I've learned to find out through the mentions of people that have commented that that is not her real name, that she has changed her name. 
she usually will either put up a picture of Donald Trump wearing, I don't know, camo gear, has a colonial American, all this, that, and the other, to sit there and say, you see all the sacrifices he's making for you? He says, no, that's an avatar. You just put a different picture on him. You know, thank you for playing now. And she always says something that incredibly stupid. So right-wing trolls, right-wing trolls, yes. You have a right to exist. You I absolutely- get a similar one, Scott. I get DC Drano is the one that pops up in my uh, my news feed a lot. I think he's a piece of shit. And uh, for some reason, I see his stuff every day. And so, you know, my thing is I definitely think you should be able to exist as long as you are not openly plotting or you know, an insurrection against the United States. And as long as you are not, you know actively preaching violence against specific people have at it you know if you want to lie about the election if you want to spew garbage go right ahead i don't want to see it that's the whole point of what twitter was i choose who i follow people choose to follow me i you know i didn't talk politics on twitter I talked Astros baseball, I talked Rockets basketball, I talked Texans football, talked occasional Horn Frogs. Occasionally I'd get into a, a, a political discussion, but not very often. So why does the algorithm all of a sudden think that I need to sing right-wing bullshit? So either you have some engineers that don't understand how algorithms are supposed to work, or you know perfectly how algorithms are supposed to work, and your goal is to drive me out of Twitter. One of the two. I think is the it, goal is more to get you to respond to that person with a fuck you. Probably. that That is the goal, because in their mind, that's engagement. But you know what? That's why 50% of Twitter's advertisers have left. And and you know what? I And I encourage all our listeners who are listening to this on Thursday morning, stay the fuck off Twitter on Thursday. Dennis Prager is paying $1 million to completely, as he put it, take over Twitter on Thursday as he's going to release his explosive video on gender identity. So now Elon Elon Musk is selling out all of Twitter for a full day to a full right-wing propagandist so he can blast anti-trans messaging over Twitter for a day that I guarantee you will be shoved down my newsfeed. And I don't follow Dennis Prager. I mute all Prager University shit. But I guarantee you, Prager used bullshit will be shoved down my throat tomorrow if I log on to Twitter. And, and, and my biggest complaint against Elon is he knows where some of us are at. He realizes that, like, I've got 900-ish followers. That's not a lot. But it's certainly a whole lot more than I got on threads or I have, you know, really anywhere else. And and some of these people are people that read my stuff. They read my, you know, my sports blogs. They've, they've followed me. Everywhere I've been, you know, in terms of writing about baseball and football and whatnot, um, or there are people that, you know, follow my Substack, which is, you know, my, my number of followers is around 20-ish. I would like to grow that audience. I can't grow that audience on threads right now. I don't have the followers. I just don't. So he knows I have to stay with Twitter, at least for the time being. I've got to check my mentions at least once a day just to see if anybody has engaged with me because occasionally people do. But most of the time when I see a mention, it's either 
I'm this, you know, 30 something year old woman with 13 followers. Come follow me. No, not going to do that. And number two, here's some right wing bullshit. No, no. And, and and I I don't engage with this Britney person. You don't engage with that DC person. So you know, and maybe you do sometimes. But when we are have our better wits about us, we realize I'm just feeding the trolls at this point. And so yeah. I'm not going to do and it. We're paying. We're getting them paid because these people get paid for engagement, right? Elon is paying these. Even if I reply, "Fuck you," I earned that guy money. So that's when it was a realization to me of like, just stop, just mute these people. Um, and I do. And, and that's what most people should do. Go through, mute all these idiots, and hopefully they'll stop being in your timeline. I personally, like I have the, my timeline is 95% Astros, Rockets, and Texans. That's what I want. I want to be spending most of my time in Astros Twitter. You could say it's a bubble. You could say it's a safe place. I don't give a fuck. That's who I want to interact with on Twitter. When I get on Twitter, I want to talk Astros baseball. I want to talk about the Rockets game. I want to talk about the Texans game. When I get in there and I start talking politics, that's when stuff goes to hell. And that's when my timeline gets blown up. And that's when, quite frankly, it has a mental drag on my life because I am constantly being shown negative right-wing shit. Well, I I did respond uh, to – there was this – long whole big thing about you know how 2020 was obvious fraud and the only response was my team gained more yards than the other team how did we lose um and so you know it's that kind of thing and so what i did is is, is, so that, that i wouldn't be on their timeline i went on my own timeline and i just did basically my own kind of long drawn out response and basically, just with the election denialism, and, and just to put this out there, that there, you know, really in the last century, there has been less than a thousand prosecuted cases of voter fraud nationwide. And we're talking about over a billion ballots cast with all the elections. There have been absentee ballots throughout this time. There are some states, I think Oregon is one, where everybody votes absentee. So... You have a better chance of having voter fraud decide an election than you have of being struck by lightning while being bitten by a shark and that shark holding a winning lotto ticket. That's th- those are the odds. So, you know, maybe, yeah, sure, maybe Trump got the election stolen from him. Maybe, you know, that, that shark exists with a lotto ticket with lightning coming out of his ass. I think Maybe. we have evidence that Republicans have stolen more elections than anyone else. But, like Al, Al Gore had an election stolen from him. But, Legitimately uh, won that election, but the, the, the count was stopped. But, but if we look at this particular election, this is where I, I keep going back to. So if we assume that all these fraudulent ballots exist, how is it that Republicans kept winning down races in those states. If I'm stuffing a ballot with Joe Biden's name on it, wouldn't I take the time to put Democrats on a down ticket? Why would I just vote for Joe Biden and a bunch of Republicans? That doesn't make any sense. But anyway, 
I, I've taken up way too much time with my scumbag. Let me let me throw the ball to Tim here uh, for his scumbag of the week. I'm going to be quick and succinct because I think it's just such a bad mistake. Um, my scumbag this week, and and I hate to do this, but it's Dana Brown. Um, it doesn't even necessarily have to do with how he's handling the managerial search as much as the fact that he did not know that Joe Espada's contract was up on October 31st. So as he's being interviewed about the managerial process, he's quoted as saying, we hold the keys to Joe Espada. No one can talk to Joe Espada without coming and talking to us first. To me, Scott, that is so scary that the GM of your team is not even aware of the contract situation of the bench coach that is apparently his front runner for the managerial position. Like that is malpractice in itself um just to be out there saying that and and to be wrong is is one thing but man that's scary to me that you didn't even realize that joe Espada's contract was up you're out there quoted saying other teams have to come get permission from you first i i truly feel like we might be in a place where joe Espada completely leaves this organization one thing I'll say, and I was seeing this on our message board, and you know, like somebody was wondering, why in the hell would Craig Council go to the Cubs and not the Astros? If you could, pick, if you had a pick of your team, why would you pick Chicago? And I think we might have stumbled onto part of the reason why. Obviously, Chicago is, as we found out back during Hurricane Ike, only about a hundred miles from Milwaukee. I don't know why I know that off the top of my head, but uh, we, we learned it back then. So he doesn't have to move his family. So I get it on that level. But the other part of it is that the Chicago, Chicago Cubs are a stable organization that has the ability to spend a lot of money. The Astros have the ability to spend a lot of money, but how stable are they? Because when you look at this situation, if Dana Brown is pushing pushing Joe Espada as the manager, why isn't he the manager? Why don't they just hold a press conference tomorrow where this guy's the manager? The reason? Because Jim Crane is listening to people other than Dana Brown. He's listening to Jeff Bagwell. He's listening to Reggie Jackson. Jeff Bagwell wants Brad Osmus. I don't know who Reggie Jackson wants frankly, don't care. So that's kind of the problem is that if I'm a future manager of this team, if I want to sit there and, you know, be a manager for more than three seasons or four seasons, if I want to drop, you know, my roots, which I think AJ Hinch without the scandal would still be the manager of this team. And, you know, he'd be manager for more than a decade. If I'm looking at an organization of where do I want to be for more than a decade, are the Astros the team? I mean, I, it pains me to say that since we've been so successful since 2017. But when you look at the power structure, it doesn't inspire all that much confidence. And, you know, Dana Brown not knowing about a spot as contracts, just a small piece of that. But the bigger piece of that is who is really making the decisions for this team? Who do we want making the decisions for this team? That's why I actually was in favor of them going out and hiring. Um, who was it that uh, was the Brewers GM that ended up going to New York to be their president? 
um, what was his name? Used to be here. I, I know who you're talking about. I can't remember off the top of my head. I wanted somebody who could be an adult in the room who could sit there and say, you know what? I'm the guy. So if Dana Brown's still the GM, Dana Brown's got to come to me with his trade ideas. If we're going to talk about who the manager of this team, Jim Crane's not making that decision. We got a president of baseball operations who's making that decision. I, I've said the same thing about the Texans. I didn't want the McNairs making decisions. I wanted a big boy who knows football being a president of football operations. And that, and it's kind of the same thing here. I don't, you know, Jim Crane is a great owner. Jim Crane's not a baseball guy. He proved that this last offseason with the decisions that he signed off on. So if you look at, you know, the people who he's hired as general manager, you name me a better trade that the Astros have made over the last five years than getting Yanier Diaz and Phil Maton for Miles Straw. Name me a better trade. Can I go six years? Okay, who else are you going? Josh Fields for Yordan. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. All right, fair Ooh, enough. By the way, by fair the enough. way, fair enough. By, by the way, Josh Fields gets a lot of gets made fun of a lot in the Astros world for the fact that that's all we had to give up for Yordan Alvarez. I'm going to go to bat for Josh Fields and say he is one of the nicest Major League Baseball players I ever had the chance to meet. I had a chance to go to Minute Maid Park and interview Josh Fields when he was still the Astros closer um, for the radio station I was working at the time. And Josh Fields is a wonderful guy. He was a wonderful, good, wonderful guy. And you know what? Even better, he got us your dog. He so was, I have nothing negative to say. He was a good reliever. Yeah. And, and, that's, and, why the, that's why the Dodgers wanted him, right? Well, and, and, and you know, if you want to go in Astros history, there's no greater trade than Larry Anderson for Jeff Bagwell. And Larry Anderson is a really good relief pitcher. Of course, he's a little bit before your time. Uh, but we need somebody at the helm who can make those kinds of moves. We were talking tonight about under the, you know, you know basically, you know, undercover kind of moves that people don't talk about that make a big difference. You and I had some ideas about some guys we'd go after. Okay, we need somebody who's sitting in that chair that can do that. I think Dana Brown can do that if you let him. Question is, are you going to let him? Time will tell, Scott. Time will certainly tell. But I do think the fact that with all those things going on around him, that he didn't know that Joe Espada's contract was up makes it an even scarier scenario, knowing that those things are working against him, getting the guy that he wants already. You need to be on top of it. And that little aspect of it definitely scares me a little bit, considering the dissension in the ranks or whatever you want to call it, on top of the fact that he's out of the loop. So definitely scary to think about. Um, but hopefully, you know, hopefully this this managerial search is coming to an end. Well, and the, and the one thing I'll make before we head on is that the problem is, and you talked about Joe Espada going out the door, if he's not the manager, you probably don't want him as the bench coach. I don't think he comes back as the no, 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 no. I, I think someone else offered no, him a chance to manage. No, and even if they don't, you don't want a guy in the sitting in the dugout thinking this job should be mine, and 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 that and he's going to undermine the manager. You know, if he, you know he gets a chance, you want the manager to hire his own staff, which is kind of the same thing as we're saying with Dana Brown. We want Dana Brown to hire his own staff. He needs to be on top of it. You're absolutely right. There's no excuse for that. Absolutely. Well, not. Scott, 
like I said, hopefully this time next week we've got some more answers on that front. Um, a lot of managerial moves have been made. We've seen the Indians fill their void. The Cubs have filled their void, um, as well as uh, the Angels, as we mentioned, get Ron Washington today. So these jobs are, are getting filled up. If, if the Astros don't go with a spot, I, I would not be surprised if, if someone like um, the Padres or even the Brewers give him a chance because I, I think he's paid his dues. He's shown he's ready. If it's not with us, it's going to be with somebody. And, again, the way that, that Dana's handling this scares me. But by this time next week, we may have a, spire, a spotter in that top spot, and, and all is good. So um, time will tell. We've got a big game this week for the Texans. Rockets need to continue their winning ways. Um, but, you know, bright bright lights in Houston right yes. now for the, for the Astros and, and, and for the Houston sports scene. You know, even the UH Cougars got off to a great start all yesterday. And let's say this to Elon that, you know, I think. Go fuck yourself. I think, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Tim and I have proven that if you want to slip $45 billion our way, we can find a better way to spend it than what you have. We, 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 I think Tim and I, and together, we'd go in, we'd buy all the Houston sports franchises, and we would make some of those moves work to win back the fan base. I would like to say, though, I would still call Elon a piece of shit, even if he gave me $45 million. I don't want to be the guy. A million. Billion. Oh, $45 billion, he'd be a nice guy. That's, that's what he paid for Twitter. No, it was million. He did not play no, no, he, no, he played billions with a B. <sighs> with a B. Imagine what you could do with that money. That's what I was saying. I would buy all three Houston sports franchises and not look back. Yeah, this is what we talked about. If I had $45 billion, you wouldn't know my name. I wouldn't want people. I would use that money making sure I did anything I wanted to do and no one knew who I was. The fact that these billionaires are not afraid for their lives is insanity. We like would. If, if, if we were in the French 1790s, these guys would all be guillotined by now. Imagine imagine if you know, Tim and I were sitting there. We would we would probably do a Cartman with our own golf course where we'd be like, hey, we're the only members. All right, we got to get a greenskeeper. Okay, you two guys, you can pay your fee. We'll pay for the green. All right, we need a clubhouse guy. Okay, you guys can come on. Well, I don't then, need a clubhouse guy. No, if it's just you and I, who needs to check in? Well, you don't want a bartender, right? I don't drink. Or, or you know, somebody to cook you know food for you after you know. I think I could do it better than them. I uh, think if I had a group, like if you and I had our own golf course, right? I agree, greenskeeper, maintenance guy, a- maintenance guy, maintenance guy slash greenskeeper, right? I envision he gets the greens cut, flag set in the morning. Then he meets us on the range, right, to pick up the balls that we hit because we're going to hit our warm-up balls. Then his day's done. Like, you're good. Go, you know, I'll pay you sixty grand a year. You are done by 10 o'clock every morning. So how many members do you have for that sixty grand? Me and you. No, but I'm, saying, we, no, I'm saying, but you, you would pull the Cartman where you'd allow, like, you know, no. five or six people. No, if we have forty-five well, billion dollars, no, I'm just playing. I'm, I'm just pretending like the Cartman thing, where you know, that's you a great Cartman. one where he bought the amusement yeah, park. That's yeah, yeah, but okay, all right. I think. But we, no, if we have we, forty-five billion, you and I have open tea times. I'm playing hour and a half, eighteen-hour rounds, uh, eighteen-hole rounds, because I don't have to wait on the dipshit ahead of me. Uh, to take five practice swings, then fat a three wood, not hit the par five and two. What? what okay, so you you got one course anywhere in the world 
that you can buy and you could be the only guy on there hiring your own staff, but you're the only guy playing it. What this may be petty as shit. This is petty as shit. I'm buying my brother's country club. <laughs> and not, are you going to have him be the Kyle on the outside where you have, might, like, a, where you have like a security guard making sure this yeah. guy does not get in? <laughs> I think it would be funny to go buy my brother's country club and then revoke his membership. I'm trying to think. I, you know, I think it would be easy to sit there and say Augusta. Uh, but maybe I don't want I don't want the Masters to go away. But I I, I I think it might be fun to own Mad Creek. Mad Creek would be fun. I think it would be fun to own like say like a real Link Stall golf course over in Scotland. That would be kind of you know. Yeah, but then I gotta take a plane ride every time uh, I'm getting there. Well, but what you do there is of course if you're a billionaire, maybe you can work it where you have two golf courses. Where if you say like during the summer months when it's a hundred degrees. I'm flying over to Scotland where it's, you know, not quite 100 degrees. But during the winter, I don't want to play in Scotland. So, you know, let me find a, a good, you know, tropical location. Maybe get something in Hawaii. Maybe we just, maybe, yeah, maybe we just go Hawaii year-round, though. At that point, if I'm having a course in Hawaii, why am I leaving Hawaii? There was a, uh, what was the one we played on Maui that was really nice? I can't remember. Well, we'll, we'll get to it in a future episode. All right. Where can the good folks find you while we're still on Twitter? Yeah, while we're there, it's Tim underscore Costello 10. Uh, and you can also find the show's Facebook page at the Snap Hook Podcast on Facebook. Um, I am also on the Twitter at S Barzilla. I have my own Substack, stack. Uh, thoughts I'm a native Texan. And I'm still writing for Battle Red blog. Uh, so I got a few articles that are running there every week. Uh, so, you know, take a look there as well. Uh, it has been a great week in Houston sports so far. Tim mentioned the Cougars also winning uh, in, their, in basketball. Uh, and they beat the Baptist in football. I don't care how they did it, but they did it. So that's a good win in my book. So good week in Houston sports. And hopefully it's a, it great, was, Scott. Hopefully it's a great west, rest of the week for all you good folks. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Yeah, we, we're going to have everybody back next week. It's going to be a good one. Um, Scott's coming up to Dallas, going to watch his Horn Frogs. So um, should be a great week. Let's hope they get a win for him, and let's hope the city of Houston just keeps on kicking ass, Scott. Absolutely. But we'll be back next week. We appreciate everybody who made us a part of their week here on the Snap Hook. tuning into the stat book and making scott and i a part of your week wanted to recognize that our intro song is called energetic indie rock by alex Grohl, and this outro music is good vibe by twisterium we appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the snap hook movement we look forward to seeing you next week on the snap hook